So if the ERP system is built not only to track the equipment, the the miles of fiber and the number of network switches and types of switches and and so forth, but also to provide you with a solution to track the bandwidth. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Most people think of ERP as a manufacturing or distribution solution. And if you are not a manufacturing company, they feel that ERP systems add very little value to your operations and become limited to just finance. While that might be true, for some companies such as professional services firms or marketing agencies, companies that are very heavy in assets and field service such as MRO, telecom equipment operators, utilities and energy companies have different needs. These needs require a tightly integrated ERP system that can handle business processes such as call to collect, rentals and service management. These companies have very different order management needs. For example, each line item could be delivered completely while the next line item may not even kick off fulfillment until the first one is delivered. IFS has a unique position in the market for these industries that other solutions can't match. It also has one of the best user experiences in the cloud comparable to Plex and Acumatica. In today's episode, we invited a panel of industry experts for a live discussion on LinkedIn to discuss major stories in the ERP and digital transformation space and an objective and independent review of IFS's capabilities. We covered several grounds, including their positioning in specific micro-verticals and their deeper capabilities than other manufacturing ERP software. Finally, we discussed their product design, history, current cloud capabilities, and the challenges of working directly with the OEM. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's show. So for today, we have a vendor called IFS, and it's going to be so exciting. But before we get there, we are going to start with the intros of our panelist, Phil. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure thing. Hi, everybody. My name is Phil Kerper, Managing Director of Ringling Business Solutions. We help senior executive teams align their business strategy with their digital transformation strategies. And I've been in the C-suite as president CEO for the past couple of decades in mid-market manufacturing companies primarily, and have been involved in several uh, different levels of ERP implementations. So very nice to be here, Sam. It's always a pleasure to have you, Phil. Thank you so much for being here. Dave, can I move to you next for your intro, if you don't mind? 
Sure. Thanks, Sam. Hi, everybody. My name is Dave Chrysler, and I own an operations consulting company that works with business owners in manufacturing, construction, and cannabis to help them create systems that will reclaim their life and grow their business. And I come to you with more than 20 years in the manufacturing space, directly responsible for operations uh, and several ERP implementations. So thanks for having me, Sam. I can listen to your insights whole day. Thank you so much for being here, Dave. Thanks, Angela, Sam. can I move to you next or your intro? <laughs> good, good afternoon, Sam. Hi, everyone. I am Angela Thurman, owner of Thurman Co., a woman-owned consulting company in Houston, Texas. So we work with highly regulated industries that need creative program management and supplier risk solutions. Okay, it's always a blast to have you here. Thank you so much, Angela, for being here. <laughs> Andy, sure, can Sam. I move to you next? Absolutely. Thanks, Sam. My name is Andy Pratico. I've been involved in ERP software for manufacturers for over four decades. I've worked with companies all over Canada, all over the United States. And I also teach companies how to evaluate ERP software. And I have a, a published book on the topic. Thanks, Sam. Okay, amazing. It's always fun to have you, uh, Andy. It's going to be so much fun. Thank you so much for being here. All right. So we are going to move directly to today's story. And for today, we have a story from our friends at ECI. And we have done a lot of coverage on ECI, so now we already understand what they are doing. And they are not going to be slower anytime. And we have seen that, you know what, they are acquiring companies left and right. Pretty much every month they are acquiring one company. So this time they have acquired a company called InSearch. And this is the cloud-based construction management solution. My understanding of this solution and the positioning of this solution is going to be, this is going to be similar to Procore, if I remember right. And uh, Andy, Dave, uh, you know, whoever has construction background, you guys can correct me. Uh, but this is really the residential home construction uh, solution that, that ECI likes to target from the small business perspective. It's not the construction construction, because in the construction, you can have a lot of different flavors and residential space is very unique overall from the business model perspective. So ECI likes to target the, the real estate, home development construction, not the actual construction. <laughs> I don't know whether you are going to call the actual construction or not, but we are talking about the home development residential uh, construction space that ECI likes to focus on. So they had a bunch of systems there, Mark Systems, Lasso CRM, uh, Lot View that we saw that, you know, you can do the, the map of the, the lot uh, on the mobile phone, even though in the back, it is really QuickBooks from the product perspective. Uh, but you can do a lot of fancy stuff from the, from the operations perspective. So now uh, ECI has acquired the InSearch, and my understanding of the solution is going to be they are going to get far deeper capabilities when it comes to the, the construction operations. And a lot of nuances are going to be there in this specific business. When you have to do your submittals, when you have to collaborate with your architects, uh, you know, the general contractors, you have all of that nuance uh, with this business. And uh, Phil, if I remember right, you spent a lot of time in, in this space, in the HVAC and, and the construction space. So InSearch Pro Cloud solution, which pro, uh, provides users with 2D and 3D visualization tool to provide homeowners with an interactive way to customize the home, customize the home that they are building. Now that's a big deal, guys. If you can do that on phone and ECI is trying to 
grab all of these shiny objects. So obviously they don't have to show their ERP. <laughs> but this is very exciting overall from the from the customer experience. And this is actually going to go to their uh, real estate and construction vertical. And as we all know, uh, ACI has three or four different focus groups that they like to focus on. One of them is manufacturing. Last time when we reviewed companies like Vcom that went to manufacturing, uh, this one is actually going to their real estate. They have the office supplies or office distribution division. So those are three or four different divisions that they have. This one is going, going for the home construction real estate division. Yeah, really, really a, a, a vertical. The custom home is a piece of the home construction. Tract homes, there's other more larger sections, but the custom home is building quickly. And in North America, the UK, other places, there's a lot of likes here. If you know anybody who's younger, your kids or whatever, that have attempted to buy a home, the supply demand side of that is really messed up. And there's a long period of time here where home building is going to be a very lucrative space. So I can see why they're investing there, Sam. I agree. Okay. So the next story that we have is coming from Unit 4. And as uh, we have not done any session on Unit 4, we are going to be covering Unit 4 very soon. The reason why we have not done a session on them because they are primarily focused on the service side of the, the industries. Our focus has been primarily on the product side of this. But we will be covering them as well. So Unit 4, what they have done is they, the way Unit 4 like to position themselves just to, from the positioning perspective, they like to go after all of the service-centric industries that are going to be your not-for-profits of the world, that are going to be your public sector. Um, they are very present in schools, universities. That's their play because the processes in those industries are going to be very different. So their competitors are going to be companies like Workday. You know, it's a, it's a different place. So we will be covering them. But at this point of time, what they have done is they have acquired a SaaS compensation planning tool that will expand the capabilities of Unit 4 ERPX solution. And guys, if you are not familiar with the ERPX solution, that is their recently launched mid-market solution. And they used to be sort of in the enterprise space just because of their HCM offering, just because of their solution, because that's where your dollars are going. Uh, they used to compete head-to-head -head with, with uh, Oracle. Uh, they didn't have as much cloud presence, but so slowly and gradually, they developed their cloud capability. So ERPX is the modern solution for the mid-market that they have developed. And uh, they have acquired the new capabilities for the compensation planning. With the acquisition of Comprite, Unit 4 will continue to expand the capabilities of its ERPX solution, which is a new solution that they are trying to commercialize through partners. They are developing their partner channel of its ERPX solution with an intuitive compensation solution that's tailored to people-centric mid-market companies. They are very clear. People-centric companies, uh, as I mentioned, that's the positioning that they like to go after. Companies can use these fun extended functionalities to improve multinational financial requirements, global workforce, and currency management. Okay, the next uh, news we have is coming from our friends at QID. And QID, what they have done, I think we saw this particular announcement in one more case. I don't remember. I don't know if you guys remember or not. We were having a conversation related to SRM with one of the ERP providers. I don't know if it was IQMS or Plex, but one of them uh, tried to acquire the SRM capabilities. And because of the supply chain issues, now everybody is sort of trying to get into the uh, trying to get the pie in the supply chain space. So they are trying to get the supplier collaboration. They are trying to get SRM. So this is a very interesting move 
And if I remember correctly from the QLD perspective, QLD was the strongest solution from the supply chain perspective. And they are becoming stronger uh, with the help of the new solution that we have. So that is going to be QLD sourcing. Now, typically, when you look at the functionalities like QLD sourcing, most enterprises utilize a solution called P2P or procure to pay. Most of the larger companies, they are going to have a specialized solution for the procurement team because ERP typically falls short for their workflow because they have to have 5,000 people you know, shopping this internally, and then you have to have the contract management process. You have to have the, the comparison of your codes. Typically, that falls very short from the capabilities perspective. But QAD is trying to bring a lot of component of P2P to their ERP, which obviously makes them very unique because you are going to get P2P plus ERP. But we have seen a lot of different ERP systems that are going to be a very weak in MES, but they are going to be very shallow uh, in the accounting. So depending upon how you want to position. But in case of QAD, they are acquiring a lot of capabilities that traditionally belonged to your P2P solution. So here, uh, they are saying the adaptive manufacturing and uh, manufacturing enterprises by equipping them with new sourcing, SRM, foreign trade zone. As we have reviewed, I think QAD is the only one that can do foreign trade zones just because this is really designed for that international supply chain. QLD is the only solution that has a lot of TMS capabilities that I don't know if any other ERP system is going to have. We have some flavors of this in IFS, but again, I don't think IFS is designed for that. So we are going to review what all IFS has. IFS also plays in a lot of logistics and transportation verticals where a lot of vendors, they don't even like to compete in that space. They only like to compete in uh, that space from the financial perspective. They don't compete in that space from the operational perspective. Uh, but QAD seems to have a lot of uh, TMS functionality built as part of their ERP solution, which is kind of unique. So that's pretty much it. This is really the source to contract process that they are trying to build uh, as part of the QAD or bring as part of the, the QAD solution. If you guys have any comment, I can take those. Otherwise, I can move to the next screen or the story. And the last story is coming from Unit 4 as well. Unit 4 is doing a lot now because they, they have not covered Unit 4 before this. So obviously they are becoming very active because the year is going to end and they have to do something. So very interesting. So Unit 4 has announced Industry Mash, a new multi-tenant industry uh, cloud service designed to equip mid-market organizations with industry-specific ERP and packaged integration. With Industry Mesh, Unit 4 is building upon its ERPX platform. Again, they are really trying to develop the capabilities on that mid-market cloud solution and equipping its customers with new pre-built data flows and integration as a service. Unit 4, I don't know if they have their own uh, iPaaS layer. We have seen in some, in case of some vendors, they have their own iPaaS layer, for example, if you look at you know companies like Aptine, companies like N4, they like to bundle their iPaaS layer as part of the product. We are going to see in case of your IFS. IFS has very strong relationship with, with Boomi. Uh, Apicore has extremely strong relationship with Jitterbit. So everybody is sort of trying to pick their fights and trying to find the vendors that they are going to go after. But I don't know whether Unit 4 has its own integration uh, platform, but everybody has some sort of integration platform because that's how they are going to win the view. So once it launches in uh, Gen 2022, Unit 4 Industry Mesh will help users 
reduce the cost and time to value of integrations while also providing richer, more consistent data across their enterprise. The first release of Unit 4 Industry Mesh. Okay, so basically they are trying to create Industry Mesh, which basically means that you know they are trying to bring a lot of different products together or the capabilities together because they are a very traditional organization as well. I have personally not looked at the demo of ERPX. Once we look at that, then we are going to see whether it is a cloud native solution or they are trying to simply bring a bunch of legacy pieces together and putting a pretty face in front of that. So we'll review all of that. <laughs> but, but right now it seems that, I mean, they are doing really good. Okay, that's it for the stories. So I am actually going to brief you guys on the IFS. If you are not familiar with how IFS has traditionally operated, where they came from, what their target market strategy is, based on the details available publicly. So obviously they have a little bit of financial details available. So we are going to look at that. We don't have pure play financial statements, but IFS is releasing something, which is a good news. At least we can review something. We have some sense of uh, you know, what's happening from the financial perspective. Overall, IFS is not a North American organization. Okay, they grew in the Europe. They are really successful. So they are fairly new to the North American market. They used to play in the enterprise space. The mid-market space is very new for them as well. They always had a very unique offering and very, very compelling uh, you know, offering for certain industries. That's how they have traditionally operated. They were always known for their development and user experience, uh, again, for very specific industries. Their strategy was similar to, I would say, in four and a lot of other companies. Overall, how they like to go in the market, they always wanted to go direct, but then their investors started challenging them that, you know what, if you are going to go direct, then I don't trust you enough. You need to have channel because every ERP <laughs> vendor out there, the ones that are really growing have really well-developed channel. So IFS has started focusing on developing their channel. And that's been the problem overall from the user community. They were not happy with how IFS provided the support. Uh, so that's been their challenge. I would say, if you would like to compare this product with the other products, I would say Plex is probably going to be a good comparison in different industry from the different market positioning perspective. But the way Plex likes to approach the market, uh, they are also very direct. They like to focus on the educational material. They want to coach their customers. They want to invest a lot of time uh, in user training, user experience. IFS has similar strategy. What now, size of a company do you think uh, IFS would target, Sam? So traditionally, they really targeted a very enterprise account, but now they are going after mid-market big time. They're moving down. Yeah. 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 They are. So traditionally, if you actually look at the IFS, the way IFS solution was designed, it was a very unique solution. Okay. So as we have seen in case of companies like Plax, companies like QLD, companies like IQMS, and these companies have had very similar strategy overall from the go-to-market strategy perspective. Uh, they like to go after one specific manufacturing ecosystem. And I am being very deliberate when I say manufacturing ecosystem. So when I say manufacturing ecosystem, what I mean by that is uh, companies like to go after, hey, I want to go after any supplier, the OEM that belongs to 3M 
or Boeing or Airbus or G or Toyota in case of Plex. So now the clear differentiation from the IFS, the way IFS approached the market, they wanted to go after the airline ecosystem. And there is a massive difference between aerospace and defense and the airline ecosystem. So when you say airline, what airline is a very different business. I mean, it's a big, okay? You, uh, you don't want to install like, you know, manufacturing ERP in an airline. That's going to be a disaster because the way that business works is, is, is very different. So airline ecosystem, when I say you are going to have a lot of maintenance providers, you are going to have a training company, you are going to have MROs. So the, the airline value chain is very different from the value chain of, let's say, Boeing. Airbus, that's a very different value chain. Okay, the business model is completely different. So the way IFS targeted, they always wanted to go after the airline ecosystem. Now, from the product perspective, their strength has always been the field service, the asset management. That's been their core always. Okay, we have seen in case of Salesforce, Salesforce is going very aggressively in this space as well. Okay, they are trying to develop their field service capability. Surprisingly enough, okay, even Microsoft is there because Microsoft likes to target verticals where they are going to get a lot of development dollars. And where do you have the development dollars? In the non-traditional ERP industry because those industries cannot use your default ERP solution. They have to develop a lot of capabilities in-house for them to be able to utilize the ERP solution. So if you look at the IFS solution, okay, which are the industry am I going after? The, the industries are going to be, think of the big assets, like really, really giant assets. So that is going to be your, uh, you know, satellite providers. That is going to be your telecom equipment providers. This positioning is very similar to Genius. Uh, if you remember, last time we reviewed Genius, Genius was a small solution, baby, but IFS is giant solution, okay, based on the things that they can do. Genius cannot do your field service. IFS is really, really good at field service. And the field service business model is very different. The way their order orders are structured, the way their orders are fulfilled, it's a different beast, okay? So, so when you combine the asset management, when you combine the field service, and when you combine that core financial layer, that makes it a very strong solution for companies like oil and gas, companies like utility, companies like energy, where your even SAP and Oracle will have hard time competing in those verticals uh, because it's not going to work, guys, you know, or you are going to be investing a lot of money in developing a lot of capabilities that are going to be part of your IFS solution. And that's why IFS has been winning in the oil and gas, mining, energy. If you guys have any comments, I can take those. But that's pretty much it from the positioning perspective. Dave, Phil, did I miss anything? Andy, Angela? No, I think that was a great intro. Thank you, Sam. Okay, Dave, any points? that we typically like to cover as part of the overview, Phil. Okay. No, I think that was good. You might you might want to just expand a little bit. You didn't mention MRO and 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 just how that also is an area uh, specific to these guys that they seem to be very strong in. So Angela, since you come from the airline industry, do you want to describe what an MRO is and what their business model is? Okay. An MRO is an organization that provides maintenance, repair, and overhaul services. So imagine you have, um, you own an airline and the products that are the parts, just let's just say parts that make up that aircraft have to periodically be serviced. 
So you would seek out um, an approved, certified repair shop, and that would be an MRO. So depending on what model aircraft this is and what um, geography you're in, you would uh, find an MRO that's capable, um, and that's an important word, capable of repairing, providing the maintenance, the repair, and in some cases overhaul um, services for that particular part. So that organization, that company, has to, number one, have a repair capabilities list that identifies all the specific parts and all of the certif- um, um, certification entities like the FAA and IASA and CAAC, the Chinese certification um, entity that authorizes them to repair that part for that plane. And, and then when you find that service provider, they would, you would be able to place an order with them to repair that part. Um, sometimes it is the original equipment manufacturer that provides the repair services, and sometimes um, you can find a third-party um, repair organization. But each of those parts has to be very carefully tracked um, for their service history by serial number. And all of that has to be documented for the life of that part. And it has to do, you have to track the um, reliability of that part. Um, You'll have to also want to track Um, whether the part is still under its original equipment um, warranty. And there's just a a ton of quality questions that would come into play. And it it is a nightmare if you're not prepared for that. Sam, I think that's a great example of what you said a minute ago of of some of these other uh, ERP systems could do that. But here you have uh, an ERP that has a lot of that functionality that they grew up with developing in the software package. And you can imagine taking what Angela just described and trying to add that to an ERP uh, platform or, or stack that doesn't have those types of attributes already built in. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very, very, very different business. And we are going to review some of these screens, to be honest, from the order processing perspective. Uh, you know, we have seen some of the complexities in how project manufacturing organizations could have. In case of Genius, we saw that, you know what, you have pro- processes such as iterated bomb or iterated will release a bomb for your project. And this is going to get even more complex. The way, you know, you are actually going to ship your lines, even though, you know, when the other line has not even started yet. So we have all of those complexities from the order processing perspective. We are going to review all of that. But let's look at, uh, you know, the overall uh, overview of IFS. So right now, obviously, from the size perspective, they are slightly bigger solutions. They like to compete with the likes of your your Microsoft, FNO, SAP, Oracle. Uh, That's where they play. It's just that you are going to get far more vertical functionality, uh, you know, as part of the IFS solution. Uh, In my opinion, I think this is way ahead in, in cloud for a lot of verticals such as MRO. There is no way you are going to find these capabilities in SAP. So obviously IFS uh, is going to have uh, an edge there 
for verticals, they are really, really good. So the, from the size perspective, the comparable are probably going to be your maybe bigger than Enforce Cloud Suite Industrial, bigger than Apicor a little bit, uh, smaller than your Microsoft FNO, smaller than SAP, smaller than Oracle. So they sort of sit in between. I would say the comparable is going to be Plex, but for different industry. Comparable is probably going to be QAD, but for different industry verticals and probably IQMS as well. That's going to be my perception, but we will see where they are winning the most. So right now, if you we look at their growth, they have had from 2019 to 2020, 20% growth. I think that is aligned with Oracle's growth, which we found the highest overall. So a lot of vendors are going to claim, you know what, I'm fastest growing. Uh, okay, that is the only thing they are going to say. They are never going to claim, okay, what their numbers are. But we have these guys' number right here that they are going growing 60%. 60% is a big deal, guys. I mean, if they are able to grow from 2019 to 2020, by the way, and 2020 was the year when we were really down. They grew 60% in 2020. And I don't know what they have done in 2021. Uh, it must be really high. So Don't forget, Sam, that 60% is increase in cloud revenue year over year. So that's going to include all their customers that have emerged from on-prem to cloud. Well, so it's slightly tricky to read this because see, the IFS, the way IFS operates, they are actually going to have their services bundled as part of their um, you know, offering. It's not all partners revenue. In case of, let's say, if you look at Oracle, the majority of the revenue is going to come from your partner. So in their case, I don't know where IFS is deployed because the cloud could mean so many different things. So here, when you are going to say cloud, now I don't know who is actually owning that integration layer. If IFS is actually owning, obviously, then your dollars are going to be more because other vendors that are simply selling, let's say, just the software, uh, your dollars are not going to be as high because here you are also trying to sell the infrastructure. In other vendors' cases, you are hosting either on Microsoft, Amazon, or somewhere else. So we don't know. I don't have that information. I don't know if you guys found anything related to that. Okay. So now if we look at their numbers for the reckoning revenue, this is the actual subscription revenue in my opinion. But I don't know what all is going to be included as part of the subscription. I don't know if this is going to be pure software or are there going to be any other things that are going to be included. That is not clear, but it does seem like this is probably going to be their SaaS revenue. 26% increase in software revenue. When they say this 26% in my mind is going to be on-prem revenue. So their on-prem revenue is also increasing. They are still selling the, the on-prem solution. If you look at the highlights, 105% uh, increase in service management license revenue. This is the, the FSM piece. Guys, don't get confused with the professional services that they are going to provide as part of their solution versus the field services management solution. So my understanding, this one is going to be of this. This, this is the service management solution that they are trying to, and they are trying to quote the number for that solution that, you know, this is really a growing area. And I, the uh, industries that they are targeting, it's really growing there. The 80% reckoning revenue share of uh, software revenue. I'm not sure if I follow this. Phil, if you have any insight here, I would appreciate help or Dave. Uh, I wasn't I wasn't sure on that one either, Sam. 80% reckoning share of software revenue. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. Uh, I probably need some time to think through that. I don't want to overcoat myself. 70% growth in adjusted cash EBITDA. Okay, irrelevant. 10,000 plus customer rate globally. It's a global company. You are going to see how many countries they are present. They really have big, massive global presence that I have not seen 
with a lot of different companies. So obviously, they are going to have very heavy localization module. And typically, the companies that come from Europe, they are very strong in their localization and the consolidation capabilities. And the reason for that is in the Europe, you have so many different languages. <laughs> you have so, you know, so many different countries. So you have to design that solution from scratch. And that's why SAP is the global solution. That's why whichever solutions are from Europe, they are typically very global in, in their design. They have been trying to grow their community. Right now, they are claiming that, you know what, I have 6,000 plus active users. Uh, you know, for the size of IFS, I think that's pretty low because their every size of the customer is probably going to be 1,000 users. So they are saying that, you know what, I have six customers there, which is very low in my opinion. So they need to probably do a little better job in getting more customers in the community. But I have seen their forums. It's really active. People are engaged. And it's very well structured and organized. So kudos to IFS and then doing. Interesting at 10,000 customers, yet only 6,000 active users. That's an interesting correlation. That's Those are the, the users that are active in the community. If we compare this with the other competing solutions, not everybody goes out and hang out in the community, depending upon what their incentives are. If they have really good incentive structures for users, if you are trying to help the help build the resume of your users and you have some sort of awards recognition, then users are going to be motivated in hanging out in those communities. Otherwise, nobody has time to give away their free time to, to other people. <laughs> so that's a that's slightly more marketing play. IFS is trying to get there. They are not there yet overall. They have had only 200 plus new logos across IFS core industries in 2020. So you can look at the size of the customers they are acquiring. They have had only 200 logos, but obviously they are growing a lot. So their size is relatively high. Um, the way uh, you know QAD is going to approach the market, the way Plax is going to approach the market, I think it's it's fairly similar. They are only going after the larger customers, not the, the mid-market customers. 28%, which is a high increase overall in the partner's contribution to license revenue. Uh, they are really trying to increase their channels. They are not there yet, but it seems like they are really increasing the revenue contribution contributed by partners, which is an exciting news. In total, they have roughly 500 plus partners and 1,400 additional certified partner consultants versus 2019. So this is a high growth, in my opinion. 50 plus countries where they are supporting customers. So obviously, super global solution. Uh, you know, uh, you can definitely, it's not going to be your SAP. If you are a public company, you are going to have a lot of challenges from the Sarbanes-Oxley compliance perspective, from financial consolidation perspective, but you will have far deeper capabilities overall from the operational perspective. Uh, so depending upon, you need to choose your cards. Where do you want to go? Do you want a far stronger financial solution or far stronger operations? You are not going to get everything as part of one solution. <laughs> so. Any comments, I can take those. Otherwise, I am going to continue. Yep. Sam, that 80%, if you read it closely, it reads that for every dollar of revenue, 80% of that is reoccurring. That doesn't necessarily mean it's SaaS, but it means it's under contract of some sort. That's an investor type of stat. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, I see. I see what you mean. Yeah, and I think you are right. That could be right. So that's a good number, in my opinion, if that mm -hmm. is the case. Because they are saying that, you know what, my 80% of my revenue is predictable. <laughs> so in my opinion, I think that's a that's a good sign. Okay, so let's look at the overall size. I mean, they are a fairly uh, sizable company if you compare 
the size of the organization. I mean, you are not going to compare this with your global shop, uh, you know, those are like super babies uh, overall from the size of the organization. Okay, it's a massive organization compared to companies like in four is the right comparison in, in my mind. Yeah, I don't know if anybody else is going to have this much revenue. But again, these guys have a lot more service revenue bundled as part of their total revenue. So sometimes it could be harder to find what their actual size is because from the investor's standpoint, they only care for the software revenue. They don't necessarily care for the service revenue. And that's why IFS is trying to increase their partner presence so that they can really master that software revenue that everybody's going to care for. So here, the Q1 software revenue was roughly 1.2 billion. And uh, you have the translation, uh, Phil, for yeah, me. Yeah, so, so that, that's, that's Swedish Corona. Um, it's it's 11 cents. Uh, 11 cents on one dollar so that 1.2 billion equates to 133 million us dollars that would be my understanding as well so roughly basically annual revenue if we look at so that's going to be roughly 400 million dollar recurring revenue organization okay correct yeah so that would be my understanding of ifs as well that's probably their size overall from the revenue perspective Cuban recurring. So this is the software revenue, and then they have two different verticals. So in total, my understanding of their uh, the size of the organization that's probably one billion in revenue. Here they are segmenting this based on Q1 software revenue and Q1 recurring revenue, which was one million. And I don't know if there's going to be an overlap between these two. If you combine these two, then you get to roughly a billion dollar. Uh, in right. Now that's revenue. your eighty percent number right there. They're showing you that eighty percent. I agree. So the one the one billion is a subset of one point. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Okay. So so are you saying, Phil, then the total size of the organization is going to be roughly $400 million? $400 million. That's correct. And of that 80% of that will be reoccurring. Okay. Got it. No, that's uh, that seems about right. Okay. So the third line says Q1 cloud revenue increased 102% year over year, uh, representing more than 40% of software revenue. Cloud revenue defined as all revenue streams associated with a cloud deployment deal. Okay, so when they are doing the cloud deployment, I don't know what is what all is involved as part of that. If they are bundling their own infrastructure, if that is the case, then obviously their deal size is going to be higher because they are trying to sell the infrastructure as well as the software. So that's a very interesting metric there. Now, 2021. This is the Q2 update. So this is for the six months. So they are roughly at 2.6 billion, which is very linear. Uh, if you look at uh, the numbers, sure, there's a little bit of increase. But overall, if you look at the size of organization, we are still at roughly 400, 500 million dollar uh, total revenue, right, Phil? Uh, yeah, maybe a little higher, but you're in the you're on the right ballpark. Okay. All right, guys, uh, any other comments? Uh, Dave, any comments? So I'm actually going to move to the next slide. Now, let's look at the industries, guys. So as I had mentioned towards the beginning, even though, you know, if you look at their industries, they have structured their industries very alphabetically as well. So sometimes it could be very hard to understand which are the industries that are their sweet spot and which are not. And one of the common trends that we have seen across the ERP vendor Aerospace and defense is always the first industry. Now, in my mind, that could be very misleading for the customers. And the re even though in the alphabetical order, it's going to be the first one. But the way customers like to perceive this from the marketing standpoint, they like to think, you know what? If you can do an ERP for aerospace, most likely the ERP is going to work for me. Now, that's a, you know biggest flawed 
assumption that you can make in case of an ERP. And this is very misleading the way the, the marketing is presented for a lot of different ERP vendors and IFS is not an exception. They are calling their vertical as aerospace and defense, but what they are really targeting is not that aerospace manufacturing vertical. They are really targeting that airline value chain. They are designed for that. If you look at the, the sub-industries, so they are saying, you know what, I can do aerospace and defense manufacturer that 20 other ERP vendors can also do. But you are really designed for that project-based manufacturing. You are really strong in service. You are really strong in assets. That's where you should be playing. And that's where your uh, strength is from the solution perspective. They are really strong in the airlines and fleet operations. I don't know a solution that can work in the airlines and fleet operation. Okay, you are going to be adding a lot of add-ons if you want to make it work for this industry, which is very unique. Okay, again, I have not seen a system such as IFS that is uniquely positioned in that airline value chain, uh, which is phenomenal. So if you are in that space, IFS should be your go-to solution, at least the top two, top one solution that you should be going after. Uh, defense and support service, that's again, very different vertical uh, compared to your defense manufacturer. So if you are in that space, that's probably you are heading in the right direction. Independent MRO, military operations. These are the, the ones, uh, industries that you should be targeting. Now, even though you are calling yourself aerospace and defense, that is very misleading position because my info is going to say, I am positioned in, in aerospace and defense as well. And then the customers actually get confused. When you look at, okay, they are positioned in aerospace. My pro shop is positioned in aerospace. My IFS is positioned in aerospace. But everybody has their own strengths from the product perspective. So it's it's saying that IFS is a leading software vendor to the A&D sector globally. We provide full spectrum enterprise project and program centric. The only place where we have seen program is uh, only in case of flex where we have seen the program term being used because the programs for automotive is going to be very different than programs for your airlines and aerospace. So Angela, you should be happy. And now if you are only going to look at, you know what, I'm looking for a solution that can do program management. For me, then you are probably going to end up choosing a wrong solution because your automotive is a very different, uh, you know, operations and process and product than your airline value chain. So the best way to think about any ERP system is going to be to think from the value chain perspective because these value chains move in the similar nature for the most part because they are mm -hmm. brothers and sisters if you really think about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Too I find too many too many ERPs and you've named off a half a dozen. Too many ERPs claim they're aerospace and defense specialists, but I think that the term aerospace and defense isn't even understood by most of them. The whole point of them in the in the aerospace and and correct me if I'm uh, describing this incorrectly, Angela. But I mean, air, aerospace and defense is usually a government contractor. It's someone that's going to be audited. It needs that level of that that level of detail and audit trails. Um, whereas an aerospace manufacturer, commercial, doesn't necessarily have to be at that level on the radar screen with the government. Am I correct? Angela? Yes and no. Uh, yes and no. Okay. <laughs> yes and no. So even if you're on the commercial side of the, of the aerospace um, manufacturing, there is still a high level of rigor because it is because it is so regulated. No question. No question. And so there, because of the safety factors, mm -hmm. um, you're you're going to be audited. 
to ensure that you are meeting all of the, like in the case of Boeing, the DO-170 uh, gate, the DO-254 yeah. if it's software. Um, so you're going to have that. And you've got all of the FAA requirements and all of the flow downs from, from the FAA, of course. So, no, you don't have the, um, the, the, the FAR regulations that you have to meet, but it, it is still highly regulated. So it is. It is. there's well, a I'll lot just, of compliance involved. Yeah, I totally agree. I just find that too many companies say we're really great for aerospace and defense where they're really not designed for government contracts. And Andy, exactly. The, yes. Andy, commercially, there's true. tremendous difference. Com- you know, yeah. if, you're, if you're selling into a, to Boeing versus Boeing's commercial airline side versus selling government contracts. And they're also I, uh, on contracts that I've participated in past lives that were sold to, to the military there can be requirements that you wouldn't necessarily see. For example, we had a requirement that every part that we put into a heat exchanger, for example, had to be able to be interchanged with any other heat exchanger that we provided them. Well, this was important on the battlefield, but maybe not as important. And I'm talking about exactly that you could take ah, a valve from one and you could put it into another one yeah. because on the battlefield, you might have to do that. Well, in an airline industry where you're going to service, that may not be a requirement, for example. Great, yeah. great example. The other thing I would add to what you were, what you first brought up to Andy, I think you can see this play out, uh, especially if you go to the IFS website and start looking at their uh, case studies. You can see some of that play out in how they've categorized their case studies and in, in uh, you know the number of case studies uh, per each category. I think that tells uh, a compelling story about what you guys are all bringing up. Yeah, so I think you guys are, uh, you know, all right to some extent, but, you know, Phil got it really right. The difference is going to be really in the way your sales channels are structured and your vendor channels are structured. That's where the real difference is. Uh, When you compare the airline ecosystem versus your aircraft uh, ecosystem or aircraft manufacturing, and we are going to see how your orders and the customer hierarchies, the way they are going to be structured in these verticals are going to be very different from the interaction perspective. That's where the real differentiator is. A lot of ERP systems might claim that, you know what, I can do quality. Just because you can do quality and regulations, that does not mean that, um, you know, you can serve in the MRO space. MRO space is very different the way their transactions are structured. We've, uh, seen, that, we've seen that almost on every every episode. Exactly, exactly. They all claim they can do quality. <laughs> Okay, so uh, here uh, we are going to get going with the other uh, you know, verticals that we have. These verticals, if you look at them, they are going to have a lot of similarities. And one of the common similarity that you are going to see is going to be the size of the product, okay? And the length of the, the product as well, how long it is going to take to build that product. Building an airline is a very different operation than building an, an aircraft is a very different operation than building a widget, okay? It's a very different process uh, overall from how your sales and supply chain uh, processes are supposed to be structured. Uh, now, if you look at the telecommunications, uh, you know, energy utilities, resources, these are going to have similar, uh, you know, product size, and they are going to be very asset heavy uh, the way they are structured. So here, if you actually look at the IFS for asset intensive industries, and they are being very deliberate in specifying that, that they need to be asset intensive. Manufacturing, 
Uh, some manufacturing organizations are going to be asset intensive, but not everybody is engineer. Not everybody is asset intensive. When they say asset intensive, meaning these large oil wells, the large, uh, you know, utility uh, companies is what we are looking at. So here, the asset intensive industries is a cohesive solution combining project management and resource uh, optimization capabilities with asset management excellence uh, and a full enterprise backbone. So here we are looking at energy power generation. Now, if you look at the size of the power grid, I mean, that's massive. Uh, you know, the amount of time it takes and the amount of effort that is required to build that grid is going to be very different uh, than building a widget that you are going to be delivering in next hour. <laughs> we have the telecommunications equipment. Mining uh, is going to have similar size. Oil and gas, oil wells, uh, you know, they are not necessarily targeting some of the oil and gas suppliers. They are really targeting those oil wells because they are going to have very different Mining is a very different industry than your manufacturing. They have very different way of operating. Okay, these guys are really designed for mining because they are going to care for the, the finance. They are going to care a lot for field service. They are going to care a lot for asset management. Then your plain vanilla manufacturing supply chain functionality where you are moving widgets in your warehouse. That's not what they care for. They care for slightly bigger uh, things that they need uh, in the field. And that's the reason why your other ERP systems are not going to work for these verticals and IFS is just going to shine. And in my mind, these industries are perceived typically to be non-ERP industry, but in that you need massive capability from your field service perspective. And that's why Salesforce is winning left and right in these verticals because your traditional ERP players were never there in those spaces. So Salesforce is able to win because of their CRM and now they have field service. And even though they are going to have really bad financial solution, uh, they are still able to win just because of your CRM and, and field service solution. Now, the next one is the engineering construction and infrastructure, guys. Uh, and again, here we are talking about really massive uh, firms that are going to be in this space. For example, shipbuilding and, and maritime is a very different. Again, look at the size of the product. It's really massive. And these were the verticals that Genius was trying to target as well. But Genius is a very small solution compared to your IFS. Uh, the construction, infrastructure, industrial services, uh, engineering contractors. For the most part, the product is really designed for engineered to order vertical. It is designed for those large, heavy assets. It's not designed for the plain vanilla manufacturing. But they seem to have a decent exposure in the manufacturing as well. They have, surprisingly enough, uh, all of these solutions seem to have the formula and recipe. So everybody is trying to target the the food and pharma verticals as well, which is completely polar opposite from the, but the reason why they are targeting that is because they have the traceability built as part of the solution. So it's just easier to build your recipe and formula on top of that. And you can easily try, uh, you know, attack uh, a vertical. This is what we saw in case of Plex. This is what we saw uh, in case of some of the other solutions. But the, from the solution perspective, it is really designed for those engineer to order large complex organizations that are going to require that engineer to order field service and asset management capability that is going to be really deep. Sam, for telecommunications, one thing I want to point out is that some of the assets are intangible. So in a, in a telecommunications organization, one of the things that um, the organization would track is actually circuits. So you would you would be monitoring your customer's uh, acquisition of bandwidth and 
that is a is a complex uh, solution as well. So if the ERP system um, is built not only to track the the equipment, the the miles of fiber, and the number of network switches and types of switches, and and so forth, but also to provide you with a solution to track the the bandwidth. So, like if um, Chase Bank has a circuit of a certain bandwidth um, between this city and that city, or um, Wells Fargo has a, ne- a network built up between these data centers. That is going to be um, a very valuable solution as well. So I'm not sure, uh, to be honest. I mean, Phil, you can probably help me here. So when you uh, look at the intangibles, I don't know if they are going to have any sort of operational implication from the transaction perspective. If they are not going to have any operational uh, implication, then you can as well track Uh, on a spreadsheet. So from the ERP perspective, when we look at, okay, what is really relevant for ERP? We are looking at, okay, is it impacting my sales order? Is it impacting my sales process? Is it impacting my order to cash process? If this is going to have implications, then that matters. Otherwise, if it is going to be, I'm simply tracking the goodwill, uh, you know, that you can track in a very easy manner, uh, even on a spreadsheet. I don't know, uh, Angela, do you have any follow-up comment on that? I mean, that's what you sell. That's what your your salespeople are out there. I mean, and and when you sell a bandwidth level opportunity, that makes a very happy salesman. Right. But I mean, what is so complex about that? So whether I'm selling a virtual credit card as part of my financial services organization or I'm selling bandwidth, it's just a service offering that I'm I'm trying to sell. It's not a service. It is because it's limited. I mean, your network is made up of virtual it, we we call it virtual, but it is not virtual. I mean, your your fiber optic cable will only carry so so much bandwidth, and then it it's it's um it's full uh, until you maybe upgrade those switches. I'm going to certainly defer to Angela on this, but maybe maybe the terms are just a little confusing. When I think of bandwidth, I think of a capacity utilization. Yes. Similar to similar to uh, uh, capacity flow in an operation. So I have a certain amount of bandwidth and a certain amount of utilization. So if the ERP system is helping me understand that utilization and even be predictive of it, then that's that's a real value. Where I'm confused is the term asset. It technically is a virtual asset, but what really is is its capacity utilization. To Angela's point, that's super important to the business. Right. So, I mean, think of it as I've I've literally got pipes and they're they're skinny pipes and fat pipes. And if if my salesman goes and and sells a fat pipe and all I have available today are skinny pipes, I have a problem. All right, guys. So we are going to move on. So great points, Angela. So I think, you know, you should be paying attention to these things. We don't know. We don't have enough information right now to be able to comment whether you are going to have any sort of ERP implications of these uh, transactions. But definitely that is something you should be looking into, let's say, if you are in the telecom vertical. Thank you so much, Angela. Uh, So if you actually look at uh, some of the functionality that we have for the aviation sector, this is a very unique piece of functionality. I don't know any ERP system that you can find that is going to have this critical piece of functionality for this specific segment. Okay, so when you look at the, the multi-horizon planning, 
okay aviation maintenance planning occurs over multiple time horizons each with different levels of required granularity which is a big deal i don't think you can you can pull that off with your vanilla uh this is again you know the vanilla ERP is not going to work for aviation so this is a very unique set of functionality the long range planning tools including ifs fleet planner uh, use rule based automation to generate heavy maintenance visit plans optimized for available hangar slot utilization building auto uh, optimized plans for maximum asset availability so some of these things belong to that asset management and in, in these verticals the asset management piece is going to be strong because we are talking about billions of dollars guys if you are not going to follow uh, you know your maintenance schedule then obviously you are going to lose a lot if you are not able to maintain your transformer what is the maximum loss maybe some thousand dollars <laughs> but here this is a real deal so that's why the asset management is really critical for these organizations and that's why the resource scheduling synced with your maintenance schedule is going to be super critical and that's where the field service component is going to be super super critical as well now manage aircraft other fleets assets effectively next you maintenance dates are calculated automatically based on maintenance program scheduling rules and on condition programs you might find a lot of this in other manufacturing solutions but again they are not going to be as deep because the implications are not as severe as well in this particular case we are talking about very expensive assets so you need to have far more rigor morale overall from the scrutiny perspective that you really need to know your game from the maintenance perspective otherwise you are going to lose a lot of money the, uh, managing the logbook deferred items by closing them as fast as possible keeps asset ready for service that's a very unique functionality that i've seen uh, that i don't know how you would do with the vanilla erp line and forward maintenance so here the line maintenance mobile application allows line technician to review aircraft status request parts action open pulse and release aircraft to service now that's a very unique functionality guys if you try to do that with your vanilla erp it's going to be really hard to pull that off because you have a lot of moving parts there uh, in terms of how this is going to get scheduled how they are going to call how it is going to be serviced and then you have to comply with all of the regulations that angela mentioned your serialization is going to kick in and then you need to verify all of that now that's a serious lift guys air frame maintenance repair and overhaul uh, reduce your overall turnaround time for aircraft guys as you know it's a billion dollar asset and even if you are going to have a minute delay that's going to cost a lot of money um, you know and that's going to impact the customer service from the airline perspective so that's a big deal guys the total turnaround time you need to have visibility at each step in the process the time that airplane is sitting in your garage and i am probably uh, you know diluting the, the positioning of aircraft a bit but overall you know the lead time is really important that you really need to service that quote effectively for aircraft visit quickly in depth customer work scopes plan for resources you need to move really fast in this space again the you know doing this with the vanilla erp could be very 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 uh, effectively support customers by incorporating best practices this is the complex assembly maintenance uh, the maintenance is not typically if you look at the manufacturing organization the maintenance is going to be very simple but here we are looking at really really complex maintenance so the service order that you are going to get is going to be very complex as well typically the service orders in the other erp systems are very simple you have bunch of four materials that you are trying to release here you are going to have massive uh you know maintenance order that you are going to get yeah and i think that this also gives you the opportunity that 
if the aircraft is on the ground, you can do as much maintenance at one time, and it allows the um, the operator to not have to ground that plane multiple times. And yeah. that's that is a huge benefit. I agree. So we have the disconnected operations. This module with its defense operators with the ability to deploy, operate safely, return their people, equipment, data anywhere in the world for any length of time and with varying levels of uh, network connectivity. That's a very unique piece of functionality that I have personally not seen in any of the year. Uh, insufficient connectivity, whether planned or unplanned, carrying out operational missions and seamlessly consolidating data and records throughout to ensure their accuracy, completeness, and uh, integrity. The technical content management is a big deal, guys, in case of arrows. It's really, really, really big, <laughs> okay? Because you have the quality process as part of your content management. It's not as easy as, you know, fill up a document, send it to somebody, and nobody cares. Uh, you know, this is a big deal, guys. You are actually following the manufacturing process for your documentation as well. So here, the mission-critical technical content, including managing electronic job cards, engineering management for maintenance programs, maintaining accurate baseline for your aircraft's allowable configurations. The allowable configurations module provides an automated IPC comparison process that generates a lot of aviation functionality overall that you are not going to find in any other ERP system. So if you are in the aviation space, you are part of the airline ecosystem, IFSSD, go to ERP system for you. Okay, if you don't have any other comment, I'm actually going to move to the next one. There are a lot of uh, critical pieces of functionality. Obviously, you have some generalized ERP functionality, supply chain planning, warehouse management. But again, this is not really designed for your plain vanilla manufacturing. It is designed for the verticals that we have reviewed. In fact, IFS is very gentle the way they treat their customers. They go after only certain verticals and they are being very deliberate, very specific in their marketing collateral when they are spelling out these words. So kudos to IFS and, and, and doing that. They are going to have a lot of things from the sustainability perspective. There's a big movement for sustainability. And even in the aviation and the airline space, you are going to have that. The rental is a big deal. Rental functionality is very hard to find in in the in the ERP systems. So these and the rental processes, even in case of construction, could be very involved. Uh, the rental functionality for each way contractors could be very involved. So you know the way your rental processes are going to be because somebody else is owning asset, you are simply renting. So your service is going to be similar to the way Angela you described. This is going to be a very intangible offering because you are literally selling a lease. Uh, you are not selling a product. So it's a very different process from the sales transaction perspective. So they have the rental management. And the, re the, the reason why these guys need to have the rental management, because in this particular space, sometimes the aircraft is going to be leased. Sometimes the, the satellite is going to be leased because not everybody can afford to spend billion dollars in every satellite they are going to buy. Okay, so service management guys, uh, you know, they have the schedule optimization and dispatch. That is a very key piece of functionality that you are not going to find in a lot of different ERP system unless it is designed for field service. The field service is a very unique and it has a very unique requirements. We have seen that IEFS is rated always high in the field service space because they have very robust field service and asset management module. And when you bring them together, it makes a unique solution for those micro verticals that IEFS is trying to target. So here, uh, deploy real-time scheduling to ensure the workforce can respond quickly to ever-changing customer demands. Now, that seems like a very generating marketing message, uh, but if you really think about it, the way your calls are going to come for the service orders and the way you are going to 
dispatch these technicians if you are going to have delay in that aircraft and the lead time you are going to face a lot of challenges so the field services processes are going to be extremely involved in these organization just because we are dealing with very expensive uh, assets and obviously you have to track uh, the slas as well and optimize the productivity so you require a lot of intelligence there in doing the resource optimization in doing the dispatch optimization in doing the scheduling again that's a very heavy lift the logistics is again it's very hard to find in the erp system who that have really good logistics uh, functionality in this particular case the logistics is going to be more from the dispatch and the scheduling perspective it's not going to have the logistics capabilities that your cpl or your transportation companies are going to require because they have separate variable in their processes and that is going to be driver compensation so ifs obviously cannot handle all of that but they can at least handle the scheduling and dispatch uh, of the services uh, logistics so here we are talking about the services when we look at more from the mro perspective because that's where or the field service offerings uh, you know that is the service that we are talking about here okay sales and subcontract is going to be a big deal again that's a very heavy lift overall uh, in my experience in this particular vertical the contract change management the typically contracts are going to be multi year you are going to have significant changes in the contract and that is actually going to govern your processes so obviously it's much heavier lift it's not going to be your plain vanilla contract management the contract management you know if ingrained with your operational process is how this uh, contract change management is going to be uh, in the project manufacturing space you are going to have your wbs and angela is going to get kick out of this because you know you want to see your wbs and you want to track the end to end visibility of the wbs so that you have the visibility in your project again that's a very heavy lift you might not some companies might claim you know what i have wbs uh, but again the wbs that you are going to require for these large organization is going to be very different for such uh, asset intensive organization so pay attention to that and wbs that you have in this particular space and what you have in case of plax is not same guys plax is designed for automotive okay ifs is not designed for auto so pay attention to that uh, resource management resource management is going to be significantly complex uh, overall from the field services standpoint because that's where your large dollars are that's where your lead time is that's where you are going to lose a lot of money if you don't have that figured out um the construction and installation is a big deal guys because obviously this is a project in itself the installation itself could be multi year project <laughs> um so that's a big deal uh you know and you need to um, do a lot of harder lift overall from the construction and and installation perspective that's where you have to have the visibility at each step now when we look at their uh, we have analyzed their uh, case studies by category and also by capability so uh, they are not just erp pure play when you look at their uh, you know overall dollars it seems like they are only selling erp that's not true guys so we have done their analysis of case study the way have they uh, have uh, you know positioned in marketing so if you actually look at the by capability they are saying you know what i can do asset life cycle management that's how their product uh, portfolio is structured but all of this is not really erp so you have the erp bucket but there they are still selling a lot of edge apps a lot of that is going to be for example they can sell pure play asset management application let's say if you want to use sap financials because you don't 
like IFS financials. So they are only going to sell the asset management or the field service, and they are going to be using it along with your SAP. Okay, so that's how they are approaching the market. But you know, there are verticals that are buying the ELP. In my experience, the way I have done the analysis, I think there is like a 50-50% split. Uh, but they are not pure play ERP company where all of these instruments are pure play ERP. That's not the case. So we are going to look at all of those numbers. Uh, here, they are also doing the enterprise service management and the field service management. Uh, the enterprise service management, this also, uh, you might compete with ServiceNow in this vertical because ServiceNow likes to play. So I don't know if IFS likes to compete, but this is a very edge application that you are going to have. But, you know, you are competing in companies like uh, telecommunication. That's where you are going to need this. Okay. So I am actually going to move to the next slide. So this is the analysis that we have done. If you actually look at the case study across all of their solutions. So you are going to look at, see, for example, enterprise asset management is 10. This is the edge application that they are trying to sell. The ERP is 62. If you actually sum all of the others, they are probably going to be closer to 62 or probably more than that. So ERPs probably have 30% market share across the product portfolio. Dave, uh, Phil, I am looking for uh, help here. Am I reading this right? So if I divide 62, the total of all of this. Uh, that's the way That's the way that I, um, I agree with you, Sam. That's the way that I took it as I uh, read through this. Okay, so roughly 20 to 30% is going to be ERP play. Rest of them are really edge solution that they are trying to sell. Now let's look at the industry. So now this is the industry split. This is by across all product types, okay? So this is not, so this is the industry segmentation for all of their products. So now if you actually pay attention to this, you are going to see that, you know what? You are doing discrete manufacturing, 73. So you must be a solid solution for manufacturing. That's how you are gonna perceive, but that's not the case, guys. In discrete manufacturing, they might be selling an edge app. That's where the real beauty is, if you actually look at the analysis. So here, aerospace and defense, they are calling. But for the most part, I think those are going to be really those MRO companies that they are trying to do business with. Uh, automotive is roughly 12, which is shocking. I don't know what they are selling in the automotive space just because their product is not necessarily designed for automotive, but they are somehow able to win. So we need to look at their logos, what their business model is, if they are more aerospace-like or what's going on there. Uh, but they are somehow able to win in the automotive space. Uh, the energy, utility, and resources, uh, you have roughly 40. Uh, so now compare this with the ERP play. So here, this is the comparison of ERP. So when you filter this down by ERP, then you are going to see that, you know, this is reduced by roughly what? 70%. So roughly 30% is going to be the, the ERP play in that in case of ERP, they are really winning in, they are saying they are winning in discrete manufacturing. They are winning in energy utilities and resources, uh, engineering, construction, industrial manufacturing and discrete, discrete manufacturing are separated. So I don't know where that distinction is, to be honest. In my mind, they both are same. But the way I am going to read this is going to be that they are winning in any of the asset heavy or the service centric organization uh, that might be flagged un under manufacturing. Uh, their play is really going to be your you know, your mines and the energy utilities, engineering, concern, telecom, MRO, those are going to be the verticals that are going to be the, the suite. Now, when we look at the countries, 
uh, U.S. is is significant, to be honest. Uh, it's almost like what now, 30% of their total portfolio, which is massive. Uh, and even though a lot of people claim that, you know what, they don't really have presence in the U.S., that doesn't seem to be true here. When you look at the number of case studies that they have uh, in the U.S., so they have decent presence in, in the U.S. compared to the rest of the world. And they are present in a lot of countries, which I have not personally seen uh, a lot of different ERP players. Um, which is impressive. So here, guys, these are the nuances that you are going to get. And these are the screens. By the way, this is one of the prettiest products after Plex and Acumatica that I have personally seen. Overall, from the quality of development, quality of product, design of the product, this is really good, guys. This is the real cloud native stuff. <laughs> okay, you are not going to find uh, anywhere else. This is not a fancy facade. Uh, this is real quality stuff, guys. They are spending a lot money with their user experience. So if you actually look at the, the quality of development, if you look at, look at their order processing, so this is where the, the ERP challenges are, that the way your orders are going to be bundled, the way they are going to be segmented, the way they are going to be. So in this particular case, as you can see, you are going to have nuances such as partially delivered. Can you believe this, guys? <laughs> you are not going to find this one anywhere else. <laughs> Half of your line item is already delivered, and that is actually shown in case of your order so that you can track what is happening with the order. Now, that's a very unique project manufacturing functionality that you will not find in a lot of different ERP systems. The design is very configurable. Uh, the way we have seen in case of QAD, I think QAD had a lot of uh, you know configurable uh, uh, screens and, and design. Uh, IFS is somehow able to do that. One of the things that I could not find about IFS is their technical development stack. I don't know if they have similar technology stack as in case of QAD, but so far there is just no information available what they are using underneath. They seem to be claiming they are doing HTML5, but what frameworks, what vendors they are trying to utilize, it's not clear anywhere. Okay, so if you look at the, again, the quality of development guys in terms of the dispatch and the schedule, this is, this is sweet. This is super sweet stuff for a dispatch person whose job is just going to be to make sure that each guy that is actually going in the field, they are going to be there at the right time and they are going to have everything that they need to perform their job or somebody is going to get fired. This is marvelous uh, for a dispatch person. When you have a pretty calendar view like this, it's just beauty. It's pure beauty, guys. Uh, I have not seen this pretty product, to be honest, anywhere else, uh, which is very impressive. Okay. So uh, the challenges that the, we have- The Gantt chart was for their service management. Is that right, Sam? That's the field service functionality. It's not the yeah. manufacturing scheduling. Please no. don't get confused. Uh, it's really mm. the scheduling functionality for field service. They're right. really strong in the field service. Yeah. yeah, very nice. Now let's look at their review. So some of the trends and some of the negative trends that we have seen in cases, one of the things that you are going to find is going to be complain about their the way their user permissions are. So typically, these organizations are going to be far larger. They are going to have far deeper Sarbanes-Oxley needs, okay? SAP is the only product that I have personally seen that really gets Sarbanes-Oxley, maybe Oracle, okay? <laughs> so when you get to that complexity, when you are working with, let's say, public organization, publicly traded firms are going to have very different financial regulatory requirement than private firms, okay? So when you get into that nuanced configuration, you are probably going to struggle with IFS. And that's what users have complained when they move from SAP. For them, they just lose it. Because now we are looking at the operation perspective. This is not the finance perspective. So for them, it's very, very, very hard to relate with them. We are going to look at all of that. 
And then uh, the other thing that we have seen is the speed. When you are going to be processing, let's say, 50 invoices altogether, okay? That's where the, of the ch real challenges you are going to see. And that's where the real beauty of any product is going to be uh, when you try to do the mass uh, transaction with any product because the product that is going to be designed for 50 people shop is not going to work for 5,000 people shop. Uh, so again, pay attention to those things. IFS is a big application, uh, but I don't think it has the same operational performance that you are going to get with your SAP and Oracle. SAP is powered by HANA for a reason, uh, because they can do a lot of massive processing than your IFS can do. So you are getting a lot of operational functionality because you are on budget but then you are going to have a lot of limitations when you are going to be doing that volumetric uh, processing. So here they are saying if you're clearing up to 30, 40 invoices, which is very low for a thousand people organization in my mind, okay, then uh, it works fine. But if you try 100 or more invoices at a time, then the app starts slowing. Now, this is from 2020. This could be glitches in their cloud solution because cloud is, again, it's very new, especially for the legacy organizations. So it could be glitches in that. I don't know. But we have seen a lot of reviews which are complaining about this you know, bulk functionality. Then you have to clear a lot of invoices together. Then you have to clear a lot of sales order together. Uh, that's where the real problems are in most ERP systems, especially when you are working with larger organizations. If you are doing just one-to-one -one transaction, uh, you know, close your sales order, just one sales order. No big deal. Anybody can do that. Uh, okay. The other things, it is more intuitive than SAP to use. User experience, no questions, guys. It's a pretty product. It's designed really well from the design perspective. So people are going to find it easy to use. Uh, you know, uh, this user is coming from SAP, so obviously they are going to find it easier to use. SAP is far more constrained because of the financial regulations, because of Sarbanes Oxley. So you are not going to appreciate that as much. Uh, this is far more user friendly. IEFS does not provide its customers with data readily to benefit them. I don't know how true that is. It may be the user uh, or I don't know uh, what's going on there, to be honest. The exports is obviously going to be a very key functionality that you might not find in a lot of different smaller ERP systems. So IFS can do all of that. I think we saw this problem in case of Virginius that they did not really have. When you are doing this massive processing, you probably require a lot of Excel capabilities. Field service, we have really good reviews in case of field service. And some of these things, when you look at dynamic scheduling engine, can assign service orders to field engineers based on criteria, such as SLA, proximity, skill distance. Now, look at these variables, guys, based on SLA, proximity, skill distance uh, from the side. That's a very heavy lift uh, from the processing perspective. And they can do all of that. Again, the field service is a beast if you want to get it that right. So if you are a field service organization, you should be taking a serious look at IFS. Ability to capture data in real time from your uh, field engineers as they travel and work allows for accurate analysis of FE capability and utilization. Uh, workforce optimization is a big deal for these organizations uh, because that's where your large dollars are. Again, because you are using a lot of resources, they are doing a lot of things that can do, go wrong a lot of different ways. <laughs> so... <laughs> So you really need to get that right. Uh, we found one negative in case of IFS, and this is the review site that we really trust because this is the only one which is vetted. And in their case, they are saying, you know what, for bulk order placement, it would be nice to have an easy mechanism to upload order via Excel. Uh, my, so this is basically when you have 50 orders together, you are trying to club that in a spreadsheet and you are trying to upload that spreadsheet 
uh, on e, in your ERP. I have not even seen that in case of SAP. I don't know if SAP or Oracle support that, to be honest, because typically when you are going to be doing the manual entry of orders, that is going to be just one order at a time. If you are going to be doing bulk, then you have other interfaces such as EDI or some sort of automation. So a lot of users ask for this functionality, but I have not really seen this in case of other ERPs. So I don't know if we can call IFS out on this uh, specific issue. This particular gentleman has, uh, or women, has complained about the custom manufacturing. But again, if you are a machine shop, probably this is not a right product for you. So custom manufacturer, but it is really designed for that project manufacturing, so which was slightly alarming for me because you are looking at project manufacturing, but you are not able to work for custom manufacturing. They are saying that, you know what, you are designed for mass producers. Uh, I don't think that is true. I think the product is really designed for engineer to order vertical, but I don't know why this user felt that unless the user is going to be from the machine shop. And this is the complaint that I was talking about. The permission setup is, is, is a nightmare. The users have reported that. So either this person came from SAP and they had a lot of complex uh, servants of the requirement. They didn't like the finance uh, control piece of the software. The minute by minute tracking of the maintenance orders, that's a big deal, guys. I don't know any ERP system that can do that, to be honest. Uh, it's going to be really hard left. And the performance is, 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 is the problem um, that we have seen, but I don't know how serious uh, that issue is, but there could be a problem overall in terms of this. So I think the one thing from my perspective, Sam, that we didn't touch on today, but I, I, I feel like it bears noting, and that is with the complexities from a process standpoint, with the complexities that they've considered building out the solution, uh, I think it's important to kind of note the infrastructure that this was built on and the ability for that infrastructure to handle all of those complexities, because that's something that we pointed out with a couple of the other solutions in terms of what the database structure was like and, and you know, how robust and uh, potentially commercial uh, those are. So I think that kind of... Uh, you know, was worth noting in this uh, session as well. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think we might need to do a follow-up session on IFS uh, and dig into the technology piece a little bit more. So, so far, I don't think we had enough time to cover that. So we'll probably in the next session. Yeah, along with that, we really weren't able to tell what their uh, cloud strategy was, whether they're hosting that or, or what that is. So maybe that fits into that same realm, David, of what is the backbone of this thing which we didn't get to. Uh, my, my comment is it, it's interesting when you look at these, how so many of these companies say they do so many things. And yet when you looked at the service management information that they had on their site, I mean, that had real depth. Those are guys that actually did the deal in service management. And it, it, it really was helpful. I, I give them a lot of a lot of credit for having that level of depth so you got confidence if that's what your business was to seriously consider. It's not just a statement saying they do yeah. service. They do it. Yep. They do it. They clearly understand the um, aviation market and, and the the <laughs> the possible challenges that that uh, an MRO faces. All right, guys. So that's it for today. Uh, and just to wrap, uh, if you are in any of those verticals, which are going to be very airline value chain centric, or if you are going to be very asset intensive or the field service intensive, and you are slightly bigger organization that requires global capabilities, take a serious look at IFS. This is not your generalized manufacturing solution. This is not your plain ERP. 
they have very specific focus and they are really good at that and they are really good at good from the product perspective on that note i want to thank everybody for your time thanks, thanks everybody sam. thanks sam thanks everybody I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about ND Practical, head over to essoft.com. It's e s s o f t.com. If you want to learn more about Phil Kerper, head over to ringlingbusinesssolutions.com. It's r i n g l i n g b u s i n e s s S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N-S dot com. If you want to learn more about Angela Thurman, head over to thurmanco.com. It's T-H-U-R-M-A-N-C-O dot com. If you want to learn more about Dave Chrysler, head over to thechrysler.club. It's T-H-E-C-R-Y-S-L-E-R dot C-L-U-B. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Clay Coleman, who discusses the importance of a QMS system and why it matters for manufacturing and distribution companies. Also, the interview with Ian Pratt, who discusses how to distinguish between the need for additional resources and operational bottlenecks that need to be optimized before investing further. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.